0: Waymaker. You know the Bible says in Proverbs it says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the way the, the end of it is death. We need to get our way out of the way so that we can make the Waymaker have the way that we need to go in the way, right? Don't ask me to say that again. I don't but uh that's we we all try to figure out our ways. The way that we need to go. We're, I mean, this is the last day of 23, and we're trying to figure out what we need to do in 24. We're trying to figure out a way. But if you'll just stay close to Jesus, if you'll just partner with Him, the Holy Spirit, if you'll just partner, you'll walk in the right way. But it's when we try to make our way, our own way, is where we get in trouble. So we need to make him be the way, you know, and uh, at the last supper, Jesus was preparing his disciples. He said, you know, he'd, he'd been preparing them for a time and saying, you know, there that I'm going to, I'm going to die. I'm going away. I'm going to die on the cross. And and you guys take what you've learned over this three and a half years and and, and begin to, to make the path of the future. And Jesus said, I'm going somewhere and you know the way there. And Thomas, y'all remember Thomas, the doubter, doubting Thomas? He said, Jesus, how can we know the way? How can we know where you're going and how can we know the way? And I don't know if Jesus rolled his eyes ever at his disciples, but he's like, oh God. He said, I am the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me he says i am the way we need to get out of our own way and get in his way because when we get in his way it's a it's a current that just takes you in the right place always jesus will always steer you the right way amen amen thank you father thank you father you. Lord, we thank you today. We give you glory and honor for, for what you've given us. God, you've, you've got us through this year again. Father, I know that there's been people that have went through some pretty tough things in 23, but God, that is over. It is over today. It is This is the last. That we can hope, we can look for a way into the future. And that comes through you. Father, I pray that today, the best resolution that we could ever make is to say, Jesus, I give you my life. You may say, you know, I did that 25 years ago. I did that 50 years ago. I did that another time. I gave him my life. But this is the time to make the resolution to give him your life again. So, Father, we give you our lives today. We give you all of who we are. We don't know how to do everything that you want us to do but we give you our life and we go the way that you want us to go. We praise you. We thank you for all you do and all you are and the purpose that you've given to each and every one of us. And we thank you so much for all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. you all receive that today? Well, if you would, turn around and tell somebody hello, give them a fist bump, a high five, a shake of the hand, a hug. Thank you, sir. Well, good morning. Happy New Year almost, right? Happy New Year Eve, I guess. Um, how's everybody doing today? Good deal. To, it's good to see you all. It's good to, good to once again be back up here. And, uh, we appreciate you guys coming today and uh, being a part. I, uh, I haven't had the chance yet, but I want to say hello to my Arizona family here. <laughs> Ashley and Mike, good to see you. I won't pick on you, I promise. Um, yeah, too late. <clears throat> well, I want to welcome you all to Cowboy Church this morning. Uh, my name is Darren Gleghorn. I'm the lead pastor here at Cowboy Church, and, and uh, I keep my emails private. So, if you have anything to complain about, send them to Rhett. Don't send them. You, you can't send them to me. But, uh, no, I I, uh, I appreciate you guys uh, being here. We we want to welcome our Facebook Live family. Thank you so much for joining us online. And our California family, Kingdom Ranch Ministries out in Merced, California. Good to see you guys this morning as well. So, looking forward to being out there again soon. And, uh, man, it's going to be good. Uh, how many of you all are excited for 2024? I mean, 23 for so many people is just terrible. Not as bad as 2020. Amen. Okay. Not as bad. We, we've come out of that. Praise God. But, uh, anyways, we're, we're excited to get on with the, the next year. I remember, I remember in third grade, I remember my teacher had asked us to write a paper on what what do we? What would we think that life would be like in the year 2000? We've come plenty past that now, you know. And and what I wrote was, you know, I fly flying cars and you know the Jetsons. You know, I always thought that life would be like the Jetsons in twenty in uh, 2000. We ain't there yet. Elon Elon Jetson has not created the <laughs> flying car just yet. So, anyways. It, it is, it's weird. It's weird being in 2024. Uh, so anyways, did, did we have a tithe? Next Sunday? Oh, this is still the 31st. Okay. never mind. Oh, I thought I had forgot again, but, uh, pushing somebody out of the way. But anyways, uh, man, we're just, uh, we're just excited to, to get to be here and, and to move forward in, into 2024. So today, you know, like Bailey said, you know, there's, there's, we get, uh, especially Lynette and I over the years have got into a place as we're in, in, coming to the end of a year, we always search God for another, for a word for the future, uh, a word for the next year. And, and both Lynette and I just talking about things. I don't think we, either one of us really specifically prayed for a word. But we, we got a word from God and, and we just begin to talk about restoration. I, I really think that this year is a year of restoration, uh, a year of, of, of restore. And, um, you know, in Isaiah, it says that, uh, that people quit shouting restore, quit declaring restore. Well, I want to be one that does declare restore because the enemy wants to come and destroy things in your life you know the john 10:10 10, 10 says that that the enemy comes to kill still and destroy and and he does that so many times de- destroys moments in our life trying to get to the to our life to destroy our life ultimately but he destroys these moments in our life and so i want to i want to be one that declares restored to those moments those moments are important. We build our life upon moments. And if he, know, if he knows that he can steal one moment from us, then he can begin to open the door to steal other moments. Um, Lynette this morning said that uh she got up in the middle of the night, kind of had a headache, and and it wasn't, it wasn't kind of a headache. It was a, it was a full-on whammy. whammy. It was full-on. And she said, you know, there was a point in which she said, I don't know if I want to go to church today. Just because she didn't feel good at that, you know, early morning. And uh, she said to me, she said, I know that if I don't go to church, if I don't press through this, that the devil, it opens the door for the devil to keep me from going to church. All he's got to do is give me a headache. And so she pushed past it. By the time we left this morning, the house, she was feeling good. So she she feels good, amen, so anyways uh, all that i don 't know where I was going with all that. I guess it moves into my message today. So if you have your Bibles, if you would go over to Acts chapter fifteen Acts chapter fifteen, and as you turn over there, I want to uh just ease into this a little bit. you know over the last few years, we have here at the church at the beginning of the year we 've done a twenty one day fast, and uh we, we've called for, for the church, for, for all y'all to, to join with us in a 21 day fast. And so this year, we're not doing that. I there's there even a little one that said, yeah. So, uh, so we would do a 21 day corporate fast and, and it's not that, it's not that we don't want to do that. It's just, I am so much a non-traditionalist. I don't like traditions. I, I just, you, you know, boo me if you want to, but I, I'm not a real big, when, when it comes to traditions and doing things just traditionally, I, I feel like that loses its ump after a while. And so not saying that the 21 day lost its ump. I just saying 21 day fast loses its ump for me. I mean, I, I'm like, I like to eat. Uh, <laughs> well here 's the deal I like to eat what I want to eat, you know and on the Daniel fast that we would do it's it 's not eating you get to eat, but you got to eat stuff that don 't taste good, you know vegetables and stuff like that you know it 's not my not my ideal for having fun you know but uh anyways i I guess that 's the point is is kind of crucifying your flesh and all that kind of deal. Bottom line, we're, we're not gonna do that this year. Uh, just not feeling it. Uh, but um, here's my deal. If you want to do that, you're more than welcome to do that. I give you that freedom to, to do a 21 day fast if you want to. And, and the thing about it is, is, is that, uh, uh, that may not be our focus corporately to do that at this time of the year, but you can do that. And, and as you do that, there, there's plenty of, uh, uh, materials out there to help you do that. Uh, if you have the Uversion app on your phone or something like that, uh, you can go there. They have plenty of books on 21-day fasts and journals and, and devotionals and things like that. Jensen Franklin does an awesome 21-day uh, fast. So you can look him up, buy his book, or get his book. I don't know if we have any books in the bookstore for that. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's stuff in the newsletter that we just put out. So you can find your way through that if you if you want to do it fast more power to you, let me know how it goes all right because i'm not i 'm not doing it with you, but I do today I want to offer I, lo- I love challenges you do lo- you like challenges uh, you know my deal is uh, the poster at my gym says if it doesn 't challenge you it doesn 't change you so I like to be a person of change so i 'm going to give you a challenge today amen i 'm going to give you a thirty three day challenge today. Well if I'm thinking like you I'm gonna back up my life. No, I'm thinking <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, Cameron, I love you, buddy. So uh, thirty three we're gonna do a thirty three day challenge. I'm gonna I'm gonna pose that to you today. So with that Acts chapter fifteen is where we're going. And and I want to bring you up to where we're at here in Acts chapter fifteen. Uh in here in the fifteenth chapter, we're about fifteen years into the church age. Um, and and what I mean by that is in Acts, in the book of Acts, see, Jesus died, went to the cross, was resurrected, ascended into heaven, and then in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit was poured out, and the church began at that point <clears throat> on the day of Pentecost of the year that Jesus went to heaven. Uh, that's where that's where the church age begins. There were no churches before Jesus went to heaven. There were no churches before the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So this is, this is how things began. So now in Acts chapter 15, you're about 15 years into the church age, and there was a question brought to the church at Jerusalem. The church at Jerusalem was the first church there was. The pastor of the first church, of the church at Jerusalem, was a man named James. He was Jesus' half-brother. James was the pastor and the eldership was made up of the apostles, uh especially Peter. Peter, the apostle Peter was uh a part of that church. And so that was uh, the church of Jerusalem. The first church of Jerusalem is almost like the Vatican. It's 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 the center of the church uh the church world. It is the primary this is where things are modeled from. And things were uh were set there at the church at Jerusalem, so there's a question that was brought because in 15 years there's a there's a lot of ministry happening outside of Israel, and the apostle Paul is a part of that. And one of the arguments that he and and Barnabas had to go through as they started churches in uh, outside of Israel is that some of the the Jewish believers would. Um, when the Gentiles became believers, the Jewish believers would put mandates on them and tell them they had to abide by the laws of Moses so that they could be a Christian. That has never been the case. Amen? I mean, aren't you glad that, that, that the laws of Moses are not a requirement? You have to do them perfectly to be a Christian? I mean, look at some of the laws of Moses and, and we can say, You know, that's, that's not for me. But, so the, the Jewish believers are putting these mandates upon the Gentile believers coming into the faith. So, from that argument that Paul and Barnabas had with, with the Jewish believers, they said, well, let's, let's set some rules here for, uh, Gentiles coming into the faith. Let's set some things in stone so that we have a better way of, of knowing. So we're, we're gonna take this question to the church of Jerusalem. And and the question was this, can Gentile converts be accepted into, into Christianity without submitting to the law of Moses? And as they brought that in, uh, the apostle Peter was there, he's the elder of that church, and he responds, you know what, we Jews can't even do that. I mean, we're, we're Jews. We believe in the, in the laws of Moses, but we can't even do that. Nobody. Who could be a Christian if you put this mandate upon the Gentiles? He says, we Jews can't even do that. How can we put that burden on them? And this is where, this is where Pastor James steps in and he says, here's, here's what we're going to do. So let's pick up this, uh, this story right here in verse 14, Acts chapter 15, verse 14. Says this, Simon, who is Peter, has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to take them out of a people for, take them, take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree just as it is written. Verse 16 says, after this, I will return and will rebuild and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the lord even all the gentiles who are called by my name says the lord who does uh, who does all these things verse 18 james goes on and says known to god from eternity are all his works therefore i judge that we should not trouble those from among the gentiles who are turning to god but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses had has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So what James is saying here is he's saying, Look, the the Gentiles coming into the faith... All they've got to abide by in the beginning, all we can tell them to abide in their start of following Jesus as their Lord and Savior is to, is to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. Those were main things that were happening during that time. So they're saying, look, the Gentiles must separate from these things and step into the, into the faith. But we're not going to put all the laws of Moses on them. What they're gonna do is learn about those things as time goes on. Time is gonna go on. They're gonna to go to, to, to church every week, every Sabbath. And when they go, they're gonna hear the things that are taught of Moses. And, and we'll, we'll just trust the Holy Spirit to drop on the inside of them what they need to do to be right. But, there was nothing that they could do to be, uh, to be accepted by God, except Receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Amen? And so, that's, that's the mandate. That's, that was a very controversial policy during that time that was given to the church. But this was spread because, because the Church of Jerusalem said it, it began to spread to all the Gentile churches throughout all of the land. And so, as in this time, you know, that, that uh, James says, we're not going to burden them with prerequisites. They will learn the laws as the Jews do by going to church every week, and that's how things are going to be done. So, here James quoted in verse sixteen and seventeen. James quotes a prophecy given by Amos in the book of Amos in the Old Testament. The prophet Amos said that in chapter nine. That's that's the the um, what James quoted as that prophecy. And he said, this prophecy is for anyone who seeks the Lord. Anyone who is seeking the Lord. Anyone who is a, a a Gentile in the faith and seeking the Lord with all their heart. This is what has been said from Amos in the Old Testament many years ago. To them, I, God, will restore the tabernacle of David. I will restore the tabernacle of David. Now, I have read the book of Acts many times in my career as a pastor, in, in my time as a Christian. I've read, I've read the book of Acts so many times, and uh, especially this, this Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 is a, is a pivotal point of what I read. I love this, this uh, time. Where um, where separation is taking place, a separation from the law of Moses, not throwing it away, but just putting it on the back burner for the Gentiles, because I am a Gentile, I'm not a Jew, I am a Gentile in the faith, and then I have to learn these things and allow the Holy Spirit to download these things to me. So I've read the book of Acts many times, especially Acts chapter 15, and never have I seen this before. I've never seen this, this verse stood out to me. And, and verse 16 where he's talking about that prophecy from Amos, he says, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. I've never seen that before. I've read through it. I've read over it. I've read, it's never jumped out to me like it's jumped out to me now. When did David have a tabernacle to God? I knew Moses had a tabernacle. I knew Solomon built a temple, but I didn't know David had a tabernacle. I never saw it before. And when you begin to go over to, in, read David's story, especially in 2 Samuel chapter 6, David desired to build God a temple, a a house that God could reside in because David had built, he was the king. He had built a nice house for himself. But yet he noticed that God's presence still dwelled in a tent. And he was saying, look, how can I have a nice house and God not have something worth living in? And David felt that God deserved better and deserved to be in a better place than just a tent. And, and for that, God so loved his heart. God just loved David. Even though David would messed up, even though he screwed up at times, even though he was a man of war, he loved David's heart because David so wanted God to have a better place to live <clears throat> and what i've what I've learned about David is David was not just a great warrior, but he was also a great worshiper. As a matter of fact, I believe that David's ability to worship greatly is what gave or what made him a great warrior. I don't think we can be great warriors until we become great great worshipers. And David was a great worshiper. he loved God. he loved God with all his heart. <clears throat> David learned at a very early age the the effectiveness of worship and courage. Worship brought about courage to David. Uh, As a shepherd, as a boy, he was a shepherd, and he would go out and tend the sheep many miles away from civilization. He'd be out there in the wilderness, just watching over his sheep. He had said, "I can just see David sitting in the mouth of a cave, kind of an opening in the rocks, out of the sun, and he's just looking at the flock down in the valley, and he's watching over them. And that was that was his job. That's what he loved to do. But as he's watching the flock," and there's no one to talk to he just begins to worship god begins to write songs so many songs of the uh, in in psalms so many of those poetry songs and and uh, uh, poems that he wrote were just written in the time that he was alone with god in the mouth of the cave looking at the sheep watching sheep and it was during that time that more than once he had to be he had to be a warrior he had to 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 mount up and, and come against he had to war against nature because he's watching these sheep these innocent sheep out there in the pasture he would watch as a bear would come out of the out of the woodwork and and come down and try to take one of his sheep and he'd have to get up from where he was at rush down into the flock and take that bear They said that he grabbed the bear by the beard I mean David David's not a very big kid He's probably 5'10", 5'11", something like about as big as me. But he's taking on a grizzly bear, you know, and he reaches up and grabs the beard and pulls... And he said, I grabbed him by the beard, and I smote him, and I slew him. Killed it. Same with the lion. Lions would come out, and it happened more than once that bears and lions would come out of the woodwork and come down and take take his sheep, and he said, not today... Not today. He had been up worshiping, and he's built up this courage. I don't know that I would have the courage to go down and and stand toe-to-toe with a bear or a lion. I just I just don't know. But he had that. And why did he have that? Because he was a great worshiper. He had confidence and courage in God that he knew his job, and he knew what he needed to do. Amen? He just responded. He didn't react. He responded. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I think it's awesome. His courage and victory was born out of worship. He knew the value of worship. He knew what worship would bring to him because that worship is what brought the courage. That worship is what brought him to be a warrior. It's that it's that worship that brought about the confidence to to step out onto the field even when the giant came. Even when Goliath came along. It gave him. It's because he was a worshiper. They gave him the courage to fight. So back to my thought, my question, and I know your question is this: is what was the tabernacle of David? That's a good question. I'm so glad you asked because I'm going to tell you what the tabernacle of David is about. In First Samuel. By the way, you can, you can go over to 2 Samuel chapter 6 if you want. But in 1 Samuel chapter 4, the, the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. Now this is before David was ever king. This is before David came on the scene. David didn't come on the scene until I think 1 Samuel chapter 14, 15, somewhere along there. We didn't even hear his name. But in, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, The Philistines were fighting with the Israelites again, and I mean, they were always going at it, but it was during this time that the Philistines went in and captured the Ark of the Covenant. They went in and took the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence. They took the Ark of the Covenant out, and they took it back to their land. And when they took it back to their land, they put it in a building with all their other gods. I love that story. If you, when you go through and read, I'm not going to expound on it very much, but they put it into a room with all their other gods, and and pretty soon their other gods begin to topple over by themselves, begin to fall. The the one god Dagon would he fell at toward the uh, the the Ark of the Covenant. God's God's presence is so strong that even the idols begin to bow their knee to God's presence. And so those those idols begin to fall over. And not only that, it says that they begin to get sick. A curse came upon the Philistines because they, they didn't honor God's presence. They didn't honor the box that God's presence was. They didn't honor His presence. And so not honoring His presence and just using it as another god, they begin to get sick. There was a curse that came upon the land. And as that curse came upon the land, they they found out that they didn't want his presence there. After seven months, they got rid of it. And what's funny is the story of how they got rid of it. They just put the box on a cart, put two milk cows out there, put two Holsteins out to pull this cart, and they kicked them in the butt and let them go. They didn't take him. They didn't take the Ark of God anywhere. They just said, "Let it go. Get it out of here. Get it out of our country." So these two old milk cows begin to take this cart, and it ended up in a place called Kirath, uh, Kireth Jerim. Or, if you, if you're good, if you're good Hebrew, you, you would say Kirath Harim. And it came to the house of a guy named Abinadab. And when it came to Abinadab, he took the Ark of God into, into his house, and, and he was responsible for that for 20 Twenty plus years, it stayed there at Abinadab's house. All the Israelites knew where it was, but they never brought it back to Jerusalem. So, here in in Second Samuel chapter six, David has become king. He he has been anointed. He's twenty years down the line. He's become the king, and he wanted to bring the ark home. He wanted to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. So he put the Bible says he put together 30,000 30,000 choice men. Choice men. So in other words David made the choice to choose these men. They are handpicked men. These are not only men of war, but they're men who knew worship. That's the important piece. Is 30,000 people are men who knew how to war, but they also knew how to worship. So they all gathered up, they all went to Abinadab's house. How would you like to be a Benadab and look up and see 30,000 people coming towards you? And so Abinadab is standing there, they, they, they come along David, the king, and 30,000 people, 30,000 men came, and they loaded up the ark on a new cart. I always like to think that that cart was like a Bentley, you know? It was a, it was a Bentley cart. I mean, this cart was nice because the Bible says it was a new cart. He didn't just choose this old wagon. He chose a nice cart, probably covered in gold and, and probably had all kinds of bells and whistles on it, you know? (laughs) Rolls Royce or Bentley or something like that with two oxen pulling this cart. So they take the, they take the Ark of the Covenant, they put it on the cart and they begin to, uh all of a sudden when they take off from Abinadab's house, all of a sudden worship breaks out with these thirty thousand, thirty thousand people worshiping God. And and the, the worship begin to echo from the tops of the hills. They said Abinadab lived upon a hill, so as they begin to take off this ten mile journey from Kirith Urim uh, to Jerusalem, as they begin this journey, you can just hear the worship echoing down the hills and through the valleys. And it's, it's incredible. It's phenomenal at what's going on. But somewhere along this route, it said, the Bible says the oxen stumbled. And when the oxen stumbled, the guy that's driving the oxen, his name is Uzzah, and Uzzah sees the, the ark of God start to topple off of the cart. And as it begins to topple off the cart, he reaches back to steady the ark of the covenant. And when he reaches back to steady the ark of the covenant, he drops dead. He touched the Ark of the Covenant. He touched the ark that didn't wasn't um, that he wasn't allowed to touch, but he drops dead. an innocent man trying to do something right, and David sees this happen, and when David sees this happen, his anger grew toward God. you ever been mad at God? Don't be mad at God because God's got his ways. And so David, I mean, when when Uzzah drops dead, worship stops. What would it be like if you were in church and somebody just dropped dead in the middle of worship? It's only happened to me three times. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's never happened. I, I don't. I I mean, I don't know what I would do. That that worship all of a sudden just stopped. Everything stopped because this dude drops dead. And David got mad at God and he says, I've got to figure out why this happened. God, why did this happen? So <clears throat> David at that point sent everyone home. He left the ark there at a guy named Obed Edom at uh, his house. Obed Edom's house uh he left the left the ark there to try to figure out what went wrong and how that they can get the ark back to Jerusalem without everybody dying. And here in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 11, I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. It says, The ark of the Lord remained in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom. Did you see that? The Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Then King David was told, The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's house and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with great celebration. Once again, David figured out how to move that ark in the right way. God's ark was never meant to be put on a cart. That that was not the way that he wanted. God's plan, God's command for the ark to be moved is to be moved upon the shoulders of the, the priesthood. So the priests, the Levites would come in and they would shoulder. They'd put poles through the, the rings on the, on the ark and they would shoulder it in. That just tells us, guys, that the the ark, the, the presence of God is to be shouldered on our shoulders. That's where the true moving of the presence is. It's, it's, it's for us to carry. Amen. Amen? So the ark of the covenant wasn't just an article of furniture that belonged in the temple. It was a place of God's manifest presence. So from the time of Moses, only the high priest could um, could go into the the only the high priest, abiding by pre-required order, could go in to the Ark of the Covenant. So when the Ark of the Covenant was in its proper place in the temple, only the high priest could go in there one day out of the year. That was the only time that the Ark was seen for years and years. And so the the high priest could go in there. But for David, God changed some things. Acts 13, says that David, God says, David is a man after my own heart. Did you hear that? David is a man, after God said, David is a man after my own heart. It wasn't that David was just a follower of God. David was a pursuer of God. He was a man after God's heart. He wasn't a man just following God. He was a man pursuing God. Amen? Amen? See, when we're pursuers of God, God changes some things for us. God will move some things around. Nothing against His Word will He move around, but God can move things around in our life as we pursue Him. I don't know about you, but I want to be a man after God's heart. I want to be a person who follows so closely to God. I want to be one that pursues him so closely that he moves heaven and earth for me. Amen. 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 Not, not because I want something greater, but because he deserves greater from me. Amen. Amen. So what was so special about the tabernacle of David? I am, you guys are asking the right questions today. (laughs) What is so special about the tabernacle of David? Because David was a pursuer, God changed things for David. Because David's unrelenting commitment and worshiped, uh, worship of God, his worship cultivated a spirit of intimacy between God and his people. David saw the, the tabernacle of Moses uh, as he grew up that housed the Ark of the Covenant. But when that, co- the Ark of the Covenant was taken away to the Philistines, the, the, the tabernacle of Moses, the tent that Moses had set up, just, it deteriorated and went away. So for David to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, he had to set up his own tent. And, and when I think about that, David set up his own tent. He didn't do it according to the, to the articles which God told Moses to build a tent. David built a tent out of his pursuit after God, and he built it the way that he wanted to build it. He built it the way he felt like God wanted him to build it. And I think about this tent. I think it's a, you know, in my mind, it's just a small tent where they bring the Ark of the Covenant in. The Ark of the Covenant wasn't very big, and they would just bring it in there. And and the, you know, going back to the old times when the priests would enter in once out of the out of the year. It it was a small tent, is what I had in my mind. But as I read through this, I began to see it wasn't a small tent. It was huge, so huge that it held eight thousand people at one point. And there were no there were no rooms cordoned off. They brought the ark of the covenant into that tent because because David, being a man after God's own heart, had this sense of of worship. So strong that God, that, that David's worship cultivated and fostered a, a spirit of intimacy. That God wanted to be with his people. God wanted to be with David. And so David's worship said, God wants to be with his people. God began to break down the wall of separation during David's time to, to be with the people of Israel. Does that make sense? See the tabernacle of David when when he built that tab when David built that tabernacle it provided worship the bible says 24 hours a day 7 days a week once they brought the ark of the covenant into that tent the worship that began at, at Obed-edom's house to bring it into uh to bring it into the tabernacle of David the worship that 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 began did not stop when the when the ark got to Jerusalem, the the worship continued. It continued to the point to where God allowed anyone to come into the into His presence, who was worshiping, who had a heart of worship. The tent. I was reading. I was reading the story about uh, the the healing meetings of the. At the turn of the century in 1900, uh, Charles Parham, uh, particularly, he's the one that introduced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but Charles Parham had a tent that was called a large tent for meetings and it would only hold 2,000 people. David's tent held 8,000 at one point. 8,000 people. And you could not come in there without being, without worshiping. Your heart had to be worshiped. Uh, for God. And in that, the Ark of the Covenant sat there and anyone could lay their eyes upon the Ark of the Covenant at that point. Anyone. As long as they had a heart to worship. And the, and the Bible says that the Tabernacle of David provided worship for 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, for approximately 33 years. 33 years, 24 hours. That's a, that's, that's a lot of people to employ. You know, the worship team, I mean, our worship team is made up of volunteers, you know. But David's worship team had around the clock they worshiped. Matter of fact, the Bible talks about having, that he had 24 worship teams. So every hour the worship team would change out, but every hour the worship kept flowing, kept going. That's good stuff. That's pretty amazing. I had I had not heard about this until just recently. I had not seen this in the Bible, I had not heard about it. But as as I begin to pursue into this push into this man, it's it's amazing. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week for 33 years. First Chronicles 16:37 from the Message Bible says this. David left Asaph who was the who was the the praise and worship leader and his co-workers uh, with the chest or the ark of the covenant of God and in char- and in charge of the work of worship they were responsible for the needs of worship around the clock 24 hours a day 7 days a week for 33 years there was only one room in the tabernacle of david and many of god's people were allowed before the ark as long as they were in fear and awe of the musical worship of God. <clears throat> when, when we think about worship, especially in our day and time, we think about music, don't we? And, and it is very prominent for us to, when we start talking about worship, we, we, we tend to, to, to lean toward the musical part of things. But before this time, before the tabernacle of David, even though music was a part of worship, it wasn't a mainstay. It wasn't the main part of worship. So when you read before this about worship, a lot of times it just means that someone who's giving adoration and awe and fear to God, that was worship. But it was here through David that music began to be tied to worship so closely. And it was during this time that that, that God began to respect The musical part of worship and, and how people would, would, uh, give their hearts to God and, and worship Him in spirit and in truth is what Jesus told the woman at the well. He said that, uh, that God is respecting that musical part of worship in the, in the sense that during this time of David's tabernacle, it became a revolution. The, the musical worship became a revolution that changed the culture of praise and worship in, in Israel. And it's through that that I believe that we're in that place as well. You know, there's some people that preach against, you know, worship. Like uh, I watched a video, as a matter of fact, last night laying in bed, I watched a video of this guy being very critical of Bethel worship, of, of Jesus culture worship, uh, of uh, elevation worship, some of those big worship things were music where uh things are coming from in our culture today of worship and David the David in his tabernacle to God changed the culture of of Israel and to the point to the degree that God said I want to be with my people if they're going to sing to me I want to be with them If they're going to voice how much they love and how much they honor me, I want to be with them. I don't want to be separated off into a room, into a tent, all my own. I want to be with my people. And he began to break down the barriers through worship, through musical worship in David's tabernacle to be with his people. So what does that mean for us? Well, what Pastor James said there in Acts chapter 15, when he said God wants to restore the tabernacle of David for his people, he was talking about the Gentile people. He was talking about you and I. He was talking about the church age. We live in the midst of the church age right now. Amen? And us as a church, or as people of the church age... There is something that God wants to do. The the heart of David is our heart when we begin to sing worship and and praise to Him. In fear and awe. When, When we're in fear and awe of God and we're singing praise and worship, God wants to be in our midst. God wants to be with us. God wants to be with you when you sing to Him. You say, well, I have a terrible singing voice. Well, I do too, but you gotta just do it. You know? God don't care. He said make a joyful noise. He didn't say make a, make a great, you know, only sing to me if you have a great voice. He said make a joyful noise. For some of us, it's just noise, but we gotta make it, you know? Just laugh at it and go, because it's a joyful noise. And because of that, God wants there to be no separation between God and his people. He wants to be with us. As bad as we want him, we want to be with him. Amen. Amen. David's worship was a prophetic declaration of God wanting to be with us. It, 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 when, when I study this out, what happened is the Ark of the Covenant went from the Tabernacle of Moses to the Tabernacle of David. Ch- things changed. But when Solomon built the temple, David's son built the temple, they put God back in his own room. In the temple, God had his own room again. And it went back to the way Moses did it. But it was during that time of the tabernacle of David that things changed. And that's why James said that among the Gentiles. He says, he said, I want to re- rebuild the tabernacle of David for the church. Because when the church begins to sing in fear and awe to God, when the church begins to musically worship God, God wants to be with His people. so So as we move into 2024, I want to set a challenge for us. Are you ready? I want our homes... I want our homes to be a tabernacle of David. I want it to be a tabernacle of David, a place for God to dwell. You say, well, you know, I'm a Christian and, and I read my Bible and I, I play praise and worship music in my house. Good for you. I am so glad you do. Because if, if you do that, you've got a head start on what I'm telling you to do. What I want to challenge you to do. I'm not telling you to do this. I'm just challenging you to do this. I want our homes to be a place for God to dwell. So this is, this is my challenge to you. I want you to pick a room in your house. A place in your home that you can have music playing 24 hours a day. You with me? I want you to pick a place in your home. I don't know, I mean I know, I think about Rhett and Lacey who live in a one bedroom apartment. You know, their, their kitchen, their dining room and their living room is all just one big room, you know? And then they have their bedroom and the toilet or the, the bathroom. <laughs> so uh, you know, I think about the challenge that they're gonna have to 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 have this room in their home that they can have praise and worship music playing the whole time. And I know that there are challenges to what I'm telling you to do, but the challenge is is to find a place in your home to be able to to play praise and worship music twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. For 33 days, it's not 33 years. Maybe it'll turn into 33 years, but the fact of the matter is, is for 33 days, I want you to to figure out a place to do this. It can be a closet, it can be whatever broom closet. But I want you to get a device that you can set up worship uh, a worship playlist. That whether that be an iPod, whether that be an iPad, an iPhone, uh, a uh, little zip drive, or whatever, whatever you got to do to to get. Uh, praise and worship music to play. Uh, for some of you, it may be a, a radio. Y'all remember what a radio is? <laughs> for some of you, it may be a, a CD player. You know what a CD player is? Or a, or a cassette player or an 8-track player. I mean, for some of you, it's just old school. Go 8-track, you know. Get, a, get an old Elvis 8-track or something like that where he sings the hymns or something. But... Uh, Get something that is going to play music that you can keep on for 24 hours a day. I found a cool app called Worship 24-7. And you can just download that on your iPod, iPad, iPod, iPhone, whatever. And, and it plays worship music 24-7 is what they said. But for 33 days, 24-7, I want you to keep worship music playing in this room. And at least once a day or as often as you can go into that room just to be in the presence of God and worship. Yeah. For some of you, it's, this is going to be a whole new thing to you. For some of you, it's going to be uncomfortable. For some of you, you know, you may get in there and you say, well, uh, nobody's in here so I can, I can raise my hands. I ain't going to raise my hands anywhere else so I'm going to raise it here. It's, it's going to be a place of getting into a place of the presence of God. As often as we can, go into that room and be in the presence of God and worship Him. Get free of the legalism and the condemnation that would try to keep you from doing what God has called you to. Get creative. It's a place to say, what What? what if something comes up? What if? Uh, what if I can't play music? What if the power goes out and cuts my music off? Well, you know, all these what ifs, put the what ifs away. Just put them away. God is not gonna, uh, tax you because you're not playing 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Get rid of the legalism and things. But, and the condemnation that comes with that. But, get creative on how you can worship God. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, at certain points. Some of y'all can spend hours in there. But some of you can just spend a few minutes in there. As long as you do it with the right heart, God will honor your house. Just like the Ark of the Covenant being in Obed-Edom's house. Remember, Obed-Edom's house said, it said that the, the blessing was on his house. As long as the Ark was there, the blessing was on his house. As long as God's presence was there, there was a blessing that came upon his house. I remember reading that story years ago and it, and it was like, Obed Edom went, God, you've got to stop. Hey David, you've got to come and get this thing because I'm being blessed so much that I have to ask God to stop. Have you ever been there? I haven't. I've never had to ask God to stop blessing me. But it'd be nice to, to be able to say, I'm being, my house is so blessed because I've honored God with my house. I've given Him a place to be. I've given Him a place where I can go, my family can go, my wife can go, my kids can go, my dogs could go and feel and sense the presence of God as I worship. Because I believe that in this time of restoration, when we restore the tabernacle of David, that we restore, we'll see our health restored. We'll see our finances restored. We'll see our relationships restored. We'll see our intimacy with God and each other restored. We're going to see a restoration. And it starts with making room for the, rest, the restoration of the tabernacle of David. Amen? And in that, let our prayer in this time and this season be like David's prayer. I found David's prayer on this in Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 29. And this part of the prayer blessed me because I feel like this is our prayer that we need to have going into this new year. The prayer that David prayed here in Psalm in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 29 says, "Now therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue before you forever. That it can may continue before you forever." For you, O Lord God, have spoken it. And with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. Let the house of your servant be blessed forever. How are we going to serve him? We're going to serve him in fear and awe. Of restoring the house or the, the tabernacle of David. David knew that when he had this house for God, even though it was just a tent, it was God's presence in that place that brought that, that tore down the barriers between God and man. And when we provide that, David says, Your house will be blessed. He David would leave the tent of, of of the tabernacle, of his tabernacle to God. He would leave that and walk across the street into his house. And when David would walk into his house, he would look around and say, God, you have blessed me. You've blessed me. Even when I've screwed up, I'm leaving that behind. Even even when I have been simply human, I'm leaving that behind because I just want to worship you. And when I worship you, you put your blessing upon my house. Let's restore the tabernacle of God in our house or the tabernacle of David in our house and let God, his presence, fill the room which fills the house which fills, fills the property which brings prosperity and blessing to our lives amen so I want to challenge you for the next 30 from starting I don't know about you I'm going to start tomorrow you can start whenever you want to start but we're going to start this if you want to do a 21 day fast and a 33 day challenge you can do that tell me how it goes But we're doing the 33-day challenge. 33 days of praise and worship. Making a place. Making room for God. When you make room for increase, God will increase you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and praise you for this day. God, I thank you so much for as we step into the end of this season of our lives, step into 2024. God, I thank you and I praise you for for who you are and what you do in our lives. God, I pray that our homes as we as we make room for our houses to be dedicated to you. God, as we dedicate those those rooms in our house for you to dwell in 24 hours a day. Father, I pray that the prayer of David would be in our house. That you bless our the house of your servant. That your blessing be upon the house of your servant to be blessed forever. God, I thank you and I praise you for who you are. God, we we just, we give our praise. We give our worship to you today. Father, I pray that, that if there's anybody here under the sound of my voice listening by podcast, listening on Facebook Live, listening um, somewhere down the line, that God, as they run into this message, Father, that they would Answer the challenge. But not only that, God, I pray that anybody within the sound of my voice who have never stepped into Christianity, who have never stepped into giving their life to you, Father, I pray that they would do that right now. If you've never given your life to Jesus, right now, I wanna, I wanna say that, that Jesus never said pray a prayer. He never said walk an aisle. He never said raise, raise your hands. He always said, would you come and follow me? And all that men would say is, yes, I'll come and follow you. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what the end of that. But I do know that when I say yes to Jesus, that my eternal address changes. So if you've never said yes to Jesus, right now is your moment. It's your time. Jesus is locking eyes with you right where you're at. And he's saying, will you come and follow me? If your answer is yes, you have just stepped over into a new place of eternity. Thank you, Father. Father, I thank you and I praise you for the God followers. I thank you for those that become not just followers, but pursuers of who you are. And Father, I thank you so much for giving us your son Jesus, that he would die on a cross for our sin, that he would be buried and raised again in three days. And God, that... As He ascended into heaven, He gave us the Holy Spirit. So I just say this, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come into our houses. Holy Spirit, enter into our worship. Help us to worship in spirit and in truth. Help us to worship in fear and awe of who You are. We thank You, we praise You for all that You do and all that You are, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.